1: See, they saw Shechem's desire to marry her as not genuine, as if he could buy his way into justifying her rape. And within these words are accusations that Jacob was okay with that kind of treatment, that he could be bought, that his daughter's defilement could be undealt with. And he would be okay with that if it was a good financial agreement for them. And thus, within those words of the truth that they've learned from him, Dad, you taught us well. You never let anybody mistreat you. You always tried to make Laban pay for how he treated us. And we weren't going to let them get away with this. We weren't going to tolerate them treating our sister like a prostitute. And what do you say to them if you're Jacob? You got nothing to say. Because you taught him. The problem arose because of the example he gave to them. And so my question for you tonight is this. What values... Are your children learning from how you act? What values are they learning from how you spend your time? The
0: end descends in perfect love.
1: Jacob's life is one of hard, bitter lessons. Of his own selfishness, his own pride, his own uh, just self-sufficiency. All of it has to die.
0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. So far in Genesis, we have seen God's continuous work of salvation over every generation of man. Last we saw in Genesis chapter 34, after Jacob unnecessarily took his family and ran away from Esau, they went to the city of Shechem. There Dinah, one of the daughters of Jacob, was raped. The whole family was in an uproar. The boys of Jacob's family want revenge. We conclude this horrific account today as we join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 34, verse 8.
1: And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make you marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade you therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brothers, Let me find grace in your eyes. Look upon me well. Don't look at me like that. Look upon me well. And whatever you shall say unto me, I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as you shall say unto me. But give me the damsel to wife. You know, Hamor offers to rectify the situation through marriage. He says, listen, my my son has strong feelings for your daughter, you know, and your sister. Can we fix this thing? I'd like to propose marriage, and and we'll make it greater than that. We'll we'll intermarry. We'll become one people, you know? You know, Hamor seems kind of a bit embarrassed because his offer of of full citizenship and all the benefits that come with, with becoming one people is something that's not easily given to someone of lesser power and influence, and, and in addition, Shechem, you know, he says, ah, whatever you want, whatever dowry, whatever gift, whatever I have to pay you, give her to me. I'll do whatever you want. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a brother and to hear those words, a father? So the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and said, because he had defiled Dinah their sister, they said unto them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised. For that were a reproach unto us. But in this, we will consent unto you. If you'll be as, as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then will we take our daughter, and we will be gone. Now, there's a couple things going on here. One, obviously, you've probably already picked up on, this would be bad, Right? from a spiritual perspective, God has chosen Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, Jacob's spent 20 miserable years with his father-in-law Laban over there to preserve this line that God has tried to keep. So there is a spiritual element here where this is a no, no, this is bad. This is no good. Now, I don't think anybody's thinking that here, but from God's perspective, this is not something that's good to happen from these guys perspective, though, when they see that their father's inactive, they take over. For it says here, who responds to the offer of marriage? Verse 13 says, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor. Why didn't Jacob answer? You know, the question's addressed to him. Well, first off, like I said, we've seen Jacob's stance of inactivity and the boys are the ones who have taken up the serious offense. They're the ones who are upset. But secondly, in, in these cultures, when you had a multiple wife situation, the responsibility of a daughter's honor marriage rights, everything, it passed to her full brothers over her father. So they actually had the power of negotiation here. And while it says all the boys, you know, his sons, are involved in their response to his offer of marriage, we learn later on, though, that it was the two full brothers, her older brothers, Simeon and Levi, they're the ones who are behind this deceit. For it says there that they spoke unto him deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, they, he, they deliberately misled them. Why? Simple. They wanted revenge. And so as such, their counteroffer is one that's going to put these men in a position for them to exact their revenge. They say, listen, we can't do this. We've got this thing in our family that we do that sets us apart. We're all circumcised. So unless you guys want to be circumcised, we can't do that. You want to be circumcised? All right, we'll be one people. But otherwise... We're taking our sister and we're out of here. And so, isn't it interesting how often deceit and religious ritual go together? Isn't it interesting? Hypocrisy finds a fertile ground in religious practice without relationship with God. You know, if these guys were really concerned about violating God's commands, they would have spoken to them about their need to worship the one true God and just skip the whole ritual. See, ritual can never replace relationship. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, because in the outside you have all the rituals, but your hearts are far from the Lord. We all fail at times. You know, I hear people say, you Christians are hypocrites because you still sin. Okay, all right, I, I don't know how I can ever answer that because I'm, I'm not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Hypocrisy is not failure. Hypocrisy is not that we still sin. Hypocrisy is pretending to be spiritual when your heart is far from God. That's hypocrisy. And the Lord hates it. You know, in, in Isaiah chapter one, I'll just read it to you. It's, it's a very powerful passage. Time of great religiosity, but not a time of much spirituality. And the Lord calls Israel or Jerusalem, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, hear you the word, of the, uh, the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, says the Lord? I am full of, I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I do not delight in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me to to present your offering, who has required this at your hands that you would trample my courts? Now we have to hold back a second. The answer to that question is, well, you did, Lord. (laughs) You told us to bring these offerings. You told us to bring these sacrifices. But the Lord's saying, yeah, but there was meaning behind it. That's why I told you. And you've forgotten the meaning. So he explains, bring no more vain oblations, empty. They're not, they have no meaning in your heart. Incense, it's an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, all their festivals. He says, I can't get rid of them quick enough. It is iniquity, even your holy meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble unto me, and I'm weary to bear them. You know, the Lord, his desire was that they would draw near to him, You know, at the end of that passage, he says to them, come, I don't want the offerings, come, let us, let us, let's talk, that though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. I want a relationship with you. And all these sacrifices were supposed to be symbolic of that, but you've missed that point. David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, he uttered those famous words in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, where he said, for you do not desire sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know what David's saying? I know you've asked for sacrifices, Lord, but I think you're not really pleased by the sacrifice itself. What you're pleased by is the heart that's bringing it. And the truth is, is that if he brought the right heart, even without the offering, God would accept it. That's a revolutionary thought. Because in their mind, it was all about the ritual. And God says, I've never been after that. So these guys too, they're all about the ritual, all about you be circumcised. Then you could become one of us. And unfortunately, Hamor and Shechem, they fall for it. Verse 18. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not. He did not delay to do this thing. He he said, I'll be first in line to get circumcised. Crazy guy. He did not defer to do this thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And so Hamor and Shechem, his son, they came unto the gate of their city and they communed with the men of their city saying, these men are peaceable. That's Jacob and his family with us. They didn't try to kill us after we, you know, my son raped his daughter. That's great. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein for the land, behold, it's large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us For wives, let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the, but we have to do this, only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised, that's the only catch, as they are also circumcised. But then he says, hey guys, I know that's asking a lot, but there's a big payday coming back. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs end up being ours? (laughs) Only let us consent unto them and they will dwell with us. So Hamor shares his proposal with the city leaders, that's always the city leaders met in the gate, and Shechem's and all excited to do it right away because he just wants his wife. Now, you say, okay, the Bible says he's honorable, but he raped her earlier on. How do we reconcile that, those two statements? And some have tried to explain, well, that must mean the sex was consensual, that he seduced her more than raped her. But even if that's true, I don't think that's what's being referred to here. I think it simply means this, that, that he's really trying to do the right thing from here on out. He, he, he messed up, and as the best possibly a, a, an unbeliever could, he's trying to do the, the right thing. You know, I, I remember my dad, you know, before he knew the Lord, and you know, my dad had many good attributes about him. He was a hard worker. He worked three jobs to take care of our family. My dad was at every baseball game I ever played that he could be at. You know, if it, I don't remember him never being there, you know, I'm sure he missed a few, but he was he was either there coaching or he was there watching, cheering me on. You know, he was he was always supportive, but he was lost as lost could be. <laughs> you know, I always say he did the best he could for an unbeliever. You know, <laughs> he was a bad bad dad and a bad bad husband, but you know, he was trying as best he knew how because he didn't know the Lord. And I think that's what 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 uh, Shechem is here, the Bible's saying. He's, he's, he's a dumb kid who's just trying to do the right thing and doesn't even really know what the right thing is, but he's trying at least, whereas his dad has less pure motives. But you know, if that is the case, then I find the rest of the chapter one of the saddest things that I've ever read because they could have reached this young man with the truth. You know, we like to comfort ourselves because we haven't done anything criminal like this guy did, but the truth is we're not so different than this young man. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We all need a Savior. So, verse 24, Hamor's speech, it convinces them. And so it says here, And unto Hamor and unto Shechem his his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised all that went out of the gate of his city. According to the historian Herodotus, circumcision was not unique to Abraham and his descendants. Um, the Egyptians employed it as an act of priestly consecration. So they knew it was kind of a, a religious thing. So Hamor kind of pitches it as, hey guys, they're pretty religious. Let's just get religious and they'll, we'll get their money and you know, it's, it'll be a good deal. And so they decided to go for it. Now, this type of procedure would be very difficult for an adult not exactly something you would choose to go through. And the third day after such a procedure would be the day of greatest inflammation and pain. In fact, usually the doctors back then would say, after you've done it, you know, make sure from day three to about day seven that you just stay in bed, man. It's going to be bad. And so that's where they're at in verse 25. Three days go by after the circumcision. Verse 25, and it came to pass on the third day when they were sore... That two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took each man his sword and they came upon the city boldly, or they found it in an undefended condition, and they slew every one of the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and they took Dinah out of Shechem's house and they went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and they spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field, and all their wealth, and their little ones, and their wives, they took as captives, and spoiled even all that was in the house. You know, it's tempting to read over these verses quickly, and not let what these guys actually did sink in. How many men did they kill with their own hands? Hundreds? Thousands? it's almost an inconceivable that this act would even be possible that two guys, and I don't know if it was just them or they were heading it up, but that this small force would be able to wipe out an entire city. But go beyond that just for a second to think that this would be a course of action that anyone would even try. That you would take it upon yourself not just to murder this man and his son, but every single man in that city to cause pain and sorrow, For every family in that city? What kind of children is Jacob raising? Well, in a sickly, twisted way, children just like him. See, they learned deception from the best. They were there when Jacob orchestrated the perfect timing to flee Laban. They were there when Jacob told Esau he'd follow on to Seir, but went in the opposite direction. They were there the whole time that Jacob was trying to swindle back all those lost wages from Laban. Deception was their example, and they took it to the extreme. It's been said that what we do, our children will do in excess. Why is that? Well, because our children learn what we value from our actions and where our time is spent. Not from what we say is valuable and where we say our time should be spent. Do you hear that? Our children learn what we value from our actions and where our time is spent. Not from what we say is valuable and where we say our time should be spent. See, Jacob, his sons, they learned from him that the end always justifies the means and that you have to look out for you and your own any way you can because no one else will. Everyone else out there is trying to take from you. You have to make sure no one does. And so, can you imagine what it was like seeing Jacob coming out and seeing Simeon and Levi and who else knows was involved leading all these women, children and flocks out of the city towards his camp? Can you imagine? Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've troubled me. You've made me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Parasites. and I being few in number. They shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. You know, Jacob has to be appalled, but in his response, there's a little bit of the old Jacob still kicking. He says, oh, really? That's how you wanted to solve this? You ever think about where this leads? You know, it's similar. Remember when mom came to him and said, okay, Jacob, why don't you go in and trick dad? And he goes, he doesn't say, mom, it's wrong to lie. He goes, it ain't going to work. And that's And I mean, Jacob's not, you know, he doesn't look at you. killed, you killed a bunch of innocent men. <laughs> he looks there and he goes, you, you, you really thought this was going to work? Look at what's going to happen now. You've made us to be a stink. The idea is that the, the, the noxiousness of our actions, it's going to get out there. And you think all these people are going to be all happy about the fact that a new guy moved in and wiped out an entire city? No, man. They're all going to band together and they're going to take vengeance upon us and wipe us out. But they reply in true Jacob fashion. They said unto him, Oh yeah, had Should he deal with our sisters with a harlot? You're okay with that? You're not okay with what we did, but you're okay with that? See, they saw Shechem's desire to marry her as not genuine, as if he could buy his way into justifying her rape. And within these words are accusations that Jacob was okay with that kind of treatment, that he could be bought, that his daughter's defilement could be undealt with, and he would be okay with that if it was a good financial agreement for them. And thus, within those words of the truth that they've learned from him, Dad, you taught us well. You never let anybody mistreat you. You always tried to make Laban pay for how he treated us. And we weren't going to let them get away with this. We weren't going to tolerate them treating our sister like a prostitute. And what do you say to them if you're Jacob? You got nothing to say. Because you taught him. So at this point, the end chapter ends. The subject matter actually dies and goes away. Because Jacob has to figure out what to do now. He's escaped Laban. He's escaped Esau. But how's he going to get out of this? But you know what? The subject does not leave Jacob's mind. He doesn't forget. He returns to it on his deathbed and he finally deals with it the right way. You know, Jacob is one of my favorite stories because he's such a mess. You We we sang those songs, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. I I hear that and I go, yes, that is so true. That is me. This wandering child, come. Come, let me be your all in all. I have paid the price. I can take your messed up life. I can free you. I can save you. I can change you. Jacob's life is one of hard, bitter lessons of his own selfishness, his own pride, his own uh, just self sufficiency. All of it has to die. And there at the end of his life, we see it dead, crucified in a sense. A new man. There at the end of his life on his deathbed, he replies to his sons and he's there. This is the time to find out who's going to get the inheritance. Pronunciation, right? Normally Reuben as the firstborn would receive the inheritance, but Jacob, he disqualifies him because he slept with his stepmother. But then Simeon and Levi were the next two. And he disqualifies them as well for his actions here. Turn to Genesis 49 with me and Genesis 49, verses five through seven. Here he deals with it the right way. Right now, he's just worried about the consequences. He's not worried about their murders, but here he deals with it the right way. Genesis 49, verses five through seven. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. (laughs) He says, these guys are like peas in a pod, man. They are like instruments of cruelty are in their, their habitations. It's how they think, it's how they live. O my soul, come not thou into their secret or into their counsel. Be not thou united. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger, they slew a man. In their self-will, they dig down a wall. They, they, They slaughtered people like animals is what that means. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce. The word there means it was cruel. It was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob and his sons should have done something. actions should have made them angry because what he did was wrong. But they shouldn't have acted in anger because it caused them to be cruel in their response. In Ephesians 4.25, it says, be angry and sin not, right? We read that in our scripture reading. Be angry and sin not. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that's a command. There's a time to be angry, but don't sin when you do it. And I hear that and I go, I don't know how to do that, Lord. (laughs) I get angry at people. I get angry and I want to do harm. I don't always get angry because just an injustice has been done so that I can channel that anger into going, God, what's the right thing to do? I must take action. Anger is an emotion that God has given to us because it's like him, he has anger. And it stirs him to take action, to do the right thing. And God gives us that same thing but I need help to do it the right way because normally my response is something vile when I'm angry. We need the spirit of God's help to respond correctly, to use righteous anger because the wrath of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God, right? As the worship team comes forward, I just have one more thought I want to leave with you. You know, this is not a happy story. It's not a happy passage. It's, it's good that Jacob finally deals with it correctly, but The problem arose because of the example he gave to them. And so my question for you tonight is this, what values are your children learning from how you act? What values are they learning from how you spend your time? Now, how are those values, if they are, in conflict with what God values and what God commands and therefore what needs to change? My heart tonight is that as we see this awful story and we look at it and go, how can we learn from this? Well, I think the Lord would say, there's a better way. And maybe tonight, maybe the Lord's put his finger on some things where he says, Will, you've been spending time doing this and sh- teaching your kids one thing. That's not where I want you to spend your time. Or Will, you've been doing this and acting this way and that's, that's not how I want you to act. You're teaching them something by your behavior. It's time to change. Maybe tonight's the night where the Lord's saying, it's time to change. If he is, just tell him, say, Lord, I repent, I choose to change. The Bible is so beautiful and says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Let's all stand.
0: It is okay to be angry. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. When we are angry, we must seek the Lord and wait on Him for what to do with this anger. People will see our reactions. Our children will see our reactions. We don't want to live hypocritically in front of our children they will follow the example we set before them. So let's make sure our example is like Christ. If you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.